Right, uh, afternoon all. Thank you for joining me on our roundtable event discussing diversity and inclusion on tech with a particular focus on um, hiring and building out diverse teams. Uh, obviously, I'm Sam Smith uh, from Amicus, uh, one of the senior consultants here, having been with the business for a little over uh, three years now. Uh, obviously, I'm really excited to welcome every member of our panel uh, today. So I'll go around and let everyone introduce themselves. So starting with Fiona. Hi, I'm Fiona Wright. I'm People people and Culture Manager at Oddbox, and we're a vegetable subscription company of about 60 people. Fantastic. Toby? Hi there, I'm Toby Levy. Um, I head up the talent acquisition or the recruitment for Hotility Health. We are, um, we're, we're a startup who help women understand their hormone and fertility effectively, so looking at their reproductive and hormonal health. Fantastic. And Lauren Harris. Hi, I'm Lauren. Um, I'm a senior manager for talent attraction um, for data analytics at Omnicom Media Group. Um, so we are a massive media conglomerate with um, multiple different agencies under our uh, umbrella. And we're about 1800 people in the UK. Brilliant. And last but not least, Lauren. Hi, I'm Lauren Benson-Armour. I am a member of Apolitical, which is a social learning platform for government. Uh, I'm the people lead uh, on a team of 55. Brilliant. Well, thanks for you all joining me today. Uh, I suppose we'll kick it straight off with, I suppose, the first and most important question to this is, what does diversity mean to, to everyone on the panel? I think it's a really powerful way to get different thought processes and make sure that companies can grow. If everyone's got the same viewpoints, companies really stagnate um, and you get a real echo chamber and there's a lot of kind of that confirmation bias where people just want to have the same views so that they fit in. And the more you build on diversity, the more you open that up and the more you can bring in new viewpoints, which your customers appreciate just as much as your colleagues are going to appreciate. Yeah, I, th I think, I think that's, really important i think it's it, it, to kind of continue the point the same people the same thought processes the same skill sets encourages just one way of continuing whereas i think yeah the minute you start going diverse you start opening up to different ways of thinking different brain types etc you start to see all of a sudden that the picture gets a lot bigger and a lot wider because you might all have the same vision the same goal the same aim but ultimately there's different ways of getting there. There's different things along the way. And and that, that can only be a good thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, there's plenty of ways to look at it, isn't there? And I think I really like the point of it. It's a different way of thinking within the team. It's not just obviously box checking, is it at all? It's uh, There's so many different ways for growth to, to be affected by it. I suppose for, for both Lawrence, when we're looking at it from a tech perspective, how, how can we, I suppose, look at it from, from that side, how do we like, really address diversity from, I suppose, its core perspective in tech? Um, so I think that, um, I suppose, the most, sort of the biggest issue with diversity that we've seen in tech is diversity across the gender split. So um, we've seen that um, a lot of the candidates that apply to our roles are male. Um, so we've been really working on a mission to attract female applicants, um, whether that's by um, changing some of the languages that we use in our job titles. Um, we're also making a massive push uh, for socioeconomic um, diversity as well, which is another area that I think can be um, a bit challenging in in the tech space 
Um, and in order to do that, we've been working with like grassroots organisations that help people with no educational degree, but put them through a training programme. I think in terms of outcomes as well, if you've got a diverse uh, pipeline and you're getting diverse people onto your team, it's also about inclus inclusivity, belonging. So if you feel like you belong on a team, you're not the only person on your of your gender, of your racial group, then you feel more like you can contribute. And that is good for motivation. It's good for engagement, productivity, and that's good for business outcomes. So win-win. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, we've just touched on it. Lauren, you touched on it just then in terms of just one aspect of diversity, which obviously is gender diversity, but also uh, socioeconomic diversity. Um, so, I mean, from there, how how can we set about, especially as talent professionals, identifying, I suppose, maybe struggles or I, I, how do we yeah, go about identifying what might be a problem within the, the industry or what might be problems within each each individual companies? We we have a we have probably a, a problem that, that that's different to most, and that we're as you may expect from what we do, that the vast majority of our workforce is female, which is a problem that uh, say a problem is something not most businesses have, right? So recruiting men actually is um, that's that's how we're trying to bring more diversity to the team. That said, when it comes to a the tech team specifically, that's where the the male people seem to be joining the team, and, and already that's become a bit of a male centric team. So yeah, trying to, I guess for me, it's how do you make it accessible is the first step to all other applicants. And you know, I, I know there's women in tech and women in data and all these sorts of groups that, from a visibility point of view, can really help. Um, but I guess that's just the first part, right? It's then about continuing down the journey, making them, making every applicant feel that they belong. Because um, there's things I guess we all do that we don't necessarily mean to do it. Um, it might be language, like, like you just mentioned, Lauren, or something else that it has to be right on the money for everybody to feel that this is where they belong. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> Also tying it to culture, I think understanding what your culture is, what you're trying to create in terms of employee experience, and then mapping out what that looks like for each employee and how you can take small steps in each of those areas to make a difference for DEI. Um, we actually have a really interesting part of our business, which we call marketing sciences. Um, so it still sits within our tech discipline, but it's basically our analytics team. And half of it is like coding, building models, very, very hands-on technical role. And then the other half is, we call it behavioral sciences. So it's all about research and insights and under, understanding human behavior. What we found is that the, the coding roles um, or the coding teams are very, very heavily male. And the insights and behavioral sciences team are very heavily female. So what we're trying to decipher is, is that because, you know, there are sort of stereotypical female um, personality traits or characteristics that are generally more interested in that sort of work versus a sort of hands-on, oh, sorry, hands-on technical role? Um, or is it because, you know, there's not enough representation in each team? Um, it's kind of like a chicken and egg scenario that we're trying to, we're trying to crack and maybe sort of cross-skilling is the answer or just finding out sort of where people's interests lie and why. Um, so we're doing a bit of research behind that at the moment. I was wondering if anyone else had a similar situation and across their tech teams ours is more similar to toby's as the you know 
women are a higher population within the rest of the business, but more specifically within within the coding part of engineering, not so heavily. Um, we put a lot of focus on recruiting an engineering manager and made sure that we were giving a lot of precedence to female candidates to make sure that we were giving them that fair shot there because having that representation at a, a management leadership level within the tech team is a real culture change. It makes sure that that bro culture has no place to sneak in. And we're a company where everyone believes we're very open and inclusive, but these things do sneak in. And if you don't actively work on them as well, they're going to keep sneaking in. And our analytics team here is all female now, um, which is obviously a, a good balance, but the, the core engineering team and the core coding team is predominantly male. So it's, it's making sure you've got that culture check to make sure that you can't sneak that, that bro code underneath the radar. I think that touched on a really good point there in terms of obviously the engineer manager that you've brought in a lot of work to make sure that um, so diversity is seen within that. So I suppose it puts me onto a question of where does it start? Because obviously ourselves as talent and people teams, it's a, it's a big thing for ourselves, but where does or where can we implement and where does it start from a diversity perspective throughout the whole chain of a, not just tech, but the wider company as well? I think diversity. Oh, sorry. No, I, for it. I think diversity starts with inclusion, um, especially when we're talking about women and underrepresented groups. A lot of people, the more they can see that inclusion is real, the more they are likely to join that company. Um, so you can say we have diversity goals, but unless you've got inclusion goals backing those up you're never going to reach your diversity goals. You have to be able to show that you include people um, through inclusive language, through inclusive policies, through flexibility for whatever is important for those groups. Um, whether you're talking about people from um, a minority ethnicity, whether you're talking about women, whether you're talking about people who are neurodivergent, you have to show them that they will be included and listened to within the business. Yeah, I, I completely echo that. I completely agree. I think there's, there's obviously so many different elements to diversity. We've spoken a lot already about about gender, um, but but it goes way beyond that, right? And 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 there's whether it's yes, yeah, socioeconomic groups or rate or ethnicities, whatever it may be, there are different elements of diversity. So when somebody says, "Is your team diverse?" it's a question that. You know, no one, it, it, you started the, the, the question off, Sam, I think when we started with kind of what does it mean to you? Well, I guess the answer is it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, and we probably, no one can crack this diversity. However, there are so many steps you can take in so many different fields when it comes to diversity. And, and I agree with Fiona and inclusion. I think that is a massive part that, um, you know, I wouldn't say it gets left out, but everyone says the D word and not necessarily the I word. Um, and I think they back each other up really well. And when we're talking about, obviously, the, I think, Fiona, you touched on the, the the bro code in terms of like the very non-diverse teams and making sure that everyone is represented. You, you talk about obviously bringing someone in at a managerial level. How do we, how do we ensure that sort of that is then kept at that level and we see progression rather than just one person in and, and from there how, how how does that i suppose yeah level out throughout the company and as, as businesses grow and scale as well 
So something we do in um, once we've kind of figured out the diversity pipeline part is in the recruitment process, make sure that it's exclusively skills based. So we try to, you know, we anonymize them in, in the first round so that we don't see people's names. We, we don't have any idea of, of who they are. We just look at the skills that they're showing and, and, you know, the competencies that we look for. And then from there, you get a diverse group of people. Hopefully, if you've taken the steps like language and, and putting it on specific job boards to say, okay, we've got a diverse group of people. Now let's test for the skills that they need to succeed at our organization. And for us, that starts with not only looking at what you need to be successful in a role, but also um, at the company in general. So the behaviors tied to our leadership principles, because we want to set people up for success. So if you've got the diversity part of the pipeline, you're working on inclusion in the organization. It's also just about getting the right person into that space to be able to progress. And if you're not setting people up for success, then, you know, is there any point to the other stuff? Uh, how, how do you do that, Lauren? It, from a sense of, I mean, with a recruitment hat on, and, and Sam might either nod his head or shake his head, I'm not sure. But having been in recruitment myself, ultimately, you know, of course, the language side of setting up that pipeline, accessibility, completely agree with. But ultimately, when you get then a plethora of applications, somebody, a recruiter, I guess, has to find a way of sifting through somewhere a, a, a number, right? Whether it's you might have 500 applications that are cut down to 10, um, for example. How, how do you make sure that's all as skill? You know, there's no, I guess, no gut involved, that it's all skills based or how do you guys go about that? Because that, that's a challenge, I think, sometimes by by volume, you simply have to find ways of cutting the pool down. That that doesn't necessarily mean you're not being diverse. However, it might mean that you're you're missing things or you're not being as diverse as you may want to be. Yeah. So we use rubrics to start off when, with each of the roles that we're hiring for. So we have a job description, that's you know, rules and responsibilities, day-to-day -day work. We have a progression framework for each of the roles. So what skills you need, what level of competency you need at each of those levels, and then also behaviors that I mentioned, which is you know the same. So from there, you you have an idea of what the person needs to succeed in the role. The rubric is must-haves and nice-to-haves. And then we weight those. So you have to have three or all of the must-haves and, and three nice-to-haves. And that helps us whittle down um, the list of, of sometimes massive numbers of applicants. So then you really know that, that it is about the skills that people have. It's not about you know where they used to work, anything like that. And then also um, in our, so our first culture round is not only minimum skills, but also, you know, minimum viability for behaviors that we need at the company. And it's a two-way conversation. So it's me saying, you know, I want to talk to you about the ways of working at our company, which is quite differentiated and unique in its culture. And I want to see if maybe you're right for it. You would be a culture ad and also for you to decide if that's right for you. And sometimes we do have people pulling out saying, you know, this isn't for me. But at least we've been transparent and, and straightforward with people and they can kind of keep opting in. Um, and then the last piece I'll say before handing over to someone else's skills assessment tasks. So valuable, so predictive in how somebody will perform in the role. And we do that before any role-based interviews because it gives such a good sense of how somebody will perform. And we also do that anonymously. So the people marking it don't know who has submitted it. It really just is how good are, are they displaying the skills that they need for the role.
and and you do sorry sorry to follow you and you do that through effectively rather than they them presenting something back to you they they send something in effectively so it's able to be anonymous and obviously then i guess you're not discriminating at people who maybe can't present as easily which might actually be necessary in their role right Right. So I think accessibility of the interview process is a whole other avenue, which is so fascinating. We, we sort of at each stage try to give a few options, um, but the skills assessment task, yeah, correct. There, there's no face-to-face at that point. Um, if somebody is neurodiverse or, or has specific needs, that means that they would prefer to do a face-to-face interview in written form. We also try to accommodate that. So, um, yeah, short answer, skills assessment task, yeah, always anonymous, always on paper, um, tied to the role that they'd be doing. And normally it'll be, it'll be me, a member of the people team, um, doing the admin for that. So accepting the skills assessment tasks and then passing it on in a process that we've designed internally so that people don't see um, who is submitting. I suppose with that as well, that's obviously within the recruitment process. I suppose when we're looking at whittling down numbers of of, of, of adverts, there's, there's got to be a level of getting the right people to apply, I suppose, to start with, hasn't there, in terms of you can't hit, I suppose, diversity and inclusion if we're not even getting them in the first place, i.e. through through adverts or, or however, the, or however the attraction process is. So I want to put that to the panel as well in terms of how can we go about that with with adverts or the way we obviously hold ourselves as as companies? How can we get that aspect before we even get into the recruitment process? Or could it be like language within, um, I I suppose, uh, adverts or is it sort of just as Fiona pointed out via like visibility on on teams how, how do we go about championing that and making sure that's I suppose out there um yeah so there's there's a couple of things that we do I mean you've just touched on on one of them Sam which is um de-biasing the language that we use in our job ads so obviously there's like the the male t- stereotypically male and female language um but then there's also um things that we found may sort of put off like either neurodivergent people from applying to certain roles um or people with other types of d- disabilities using language like um oh, what's the phrase where it's where it's sort of jargon or or things like um is a go getter and things like that as a, as opposed to actual specific desired skills um so that's yeah so that that's that's touching on how we would um adjust some of our language but then we also work with quite a few recruitment partners um across um diversity so i mean i think there's about eight that we've partnered with at the moment and they push our job adverts out to their talent pool um and also help us to adjust it however the problem that we face and i was going to pose this question as well as we're a media company for the majority of our roles tech is probably the only exception but we typically hire within sector so we don't get as high a volume of applicants as we'd like coming through the diverse um the diversity partners because they're obviously a lot broader um i'm guessing that with your companies it's probably slightly different um but yeah it's it's we've we've not had as much traction as we'd like um through our partners which has been a bit frustrating but it's mainly because we're looking for people in sector we don't specifically look for people who are in sector but we tend to find that those people will have 
an existing cultural fit, which is why we've taken the word culture out uh, of hiring. And we tend to talk about values through hiring instead of culture, because culturally, we're all people who are from go-getter startups mm -hmm. and quite a lot of the people who we've already got here like words and like like vegetable puns we're, we're a bit of a fan <laughs> of vegetable puns and um really conversational language which isn't always neuroinclusive and um, so we've tried to take the word culture out of hiring and talk about our values so instead of talking about is somebody a cultural fit do they align with our values? And that's very different things for different teams. Um, and our tech team potentially have a different version of how those values fit for their, their team than in other teams. And it quite, it tends to be quite fact-based language. So obviously while trying to avoid the male coded words, the analytical and data and stakeholders and all of those words that we know are traditionally male coded. It's trying to be quite direct with our, our engineering candidates and tell them exactly what they should be able to expect without losing that viewpoint that we want them to be a part of the company. We, we do want them to enjoy working somewhere where vegetables are a pun and, you know, on every, every wall. So it's quite a, a fine balance to kind of get to make sure that our language can be direct without losing the spirit of why we enjoy working here. Yeah, I think we're fairly similar to that. And I think, again, we, we certain things we benefit from, I guess, who we're trying to attract. And we're trying to attract at a, at a consumer level women so so a lot of the language that we are used there's used internally we're, we're big pun people as well um so so you'll see kind of a lot of puns and a lot of it is probably female centric the language we use because of our business but i think uh, again similar to fiona we are in the process of so it's not done yet but kind of obviously we have our our mission our, our, our brand values and i think we're then breaking those down as a team internally and actually getting the wider team to start what are the values you want us to live by as a business? And then again, each team will then go beyond that and kind of decipher those a little bit to their specific team. Because I do think there are slight, a few and there's slight nuances between how each team can kind of interpret those values. But yeah, getting the, I think, well, we hope, well, we, well, we can let you know how we get on, but we hope by letting the team kind of brainstorm and come to that kind of decision on what our values can be, that that will actually have, have a bigger impact in the recruitment pipeline as well. Something that Mary Williams, who is the current CTO of Clio says is culture ad versus culture fit. And that's something that I have strongly stolen and adopted that I think is really important for everybody doing interviews to integrate into the practice. So it's not only, are we finding somebody who has the same skills or background or experience as the current team, but do they have anything better because we always want to hire people who are better than we are. So what we've done in our job descriptions as well is like, this is what you'll be doing. This is your day-to-day. -day. These are the activities. And this is what we're looking for. And if we know that we have a lot of climate experience and we don't have as much you know, data governance and experience on our team, then we'll explicitly say that we're looking for that. And I find that that's actually really helpful in, in helping branch out and look for the kind of people that, that we want. And sometimes it means that we don't have as many applicants because it's so specific. But that can be a good and bad thing because you end up with a really strong pool of people. Do, do any of you use blind CVs or, or you know, where, I mean, we, we use an ATS where it's an option actually to, 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 to make it 
make each profile blind effectively so you actually don't know the gender or, or anything. Does anybody use that of interest? Yes. And how do, how, how do you find it? I, I honestly don't see any downsides. I think the, the one hiccup that we encounter is when people do specific formatting on their CV and it can't be anonymized. So you have to click to say, you know, I'd like to see it. Um, so actually there, there's a, a weird movement backwards to say, you know, there's so much AI in hiring now that please don't format it in a fun way because it won't be able to read it. Um, but just being able to see somebody's role some, where somebody worked and to get a sense of the progression without seeing any of the details about the actual person is really, really impactful. And I think something that, that we add to it that I think goes nicely with it is that instead of a cover letter, which is very GPT centric these days, is to ask for a written answer, which obviously can be done on GPT as well. But you know, if you're getting 500 applications, you can pick up on, on the patterns and see where it's been used. But you get a sense of who the person is um, in relation to the role in that way. So you kind of take a step back from who they are as a person maybe and, and just focus on what they bring to the role in the first instance. And then later on, you can get to know them as a person. We've tested blind applications and found that the recruitment team could always not profile those people subconsciously without having that data and different writing patterns between um, different educational backgrounds, different ethnic ethnicity backgrounds, different genders, um, different neurodivergences, an experience team are seeing those things and we found it actually had a negative impact on diversity because people were assuming that the bias was being countered by not being able to see that information and actually they were still going for the the 100 fit rather than giving somebody the benefit of the doubt on kind of a 75 percent fit for the looking at that diversity and we found it actually had a negative impact in our trials um, so I've, I've tried it here and at a previous company as well that was much higher volume um, and it didn't actually come out with the results that we were looking for. Um, we've trialed ways of putting in testing that is a test before you see anything that that person has written and we haven't found the right test for that yet. Um, but I, I'm all for the idea of a skills-based assessment that isn't, isn't based around the written word and um, that is kind of right or wrong answers rather than a tone of voice. Um, but a tone of voice is quite easily um, attributed to skill sets, uh, to kind of personality attributes with a fair level of consistency. So it didn't work for us. We also tried a platform, um, this was a couple of years ago, back I wasn't as involved in it because it was more for our like generalist space so it was our um, client service roles designers things like that um, but weirdly the applicants had to um, apply on LinkedIn and or our um, direct ATS and fill in their answer so it was a written um, based answering system um, so first of all we found a drop-off of applicants because no one was could be bothered to put in all of that information manually themselves um, I think that the, the it, it was it was okay the, the applicants that did come through but I think it would be a lot more difficult to translate that into tech because um, as we've said it was very sort of wordy and um, 
lot more sort of softer skills that that we were looking for on that. Yeah, so I think as we as we've sort of highlighted there, there are certainly things that are both well negatives and positives to both sides of it, isn't there? Especially when we're looking at everything on diversity and inclusion. Going back to the more I suppose skills based assessments we can we can be doing anonymizing those if it's coming like not a face-to-face is something lauren you mentioned is there anything else we can implement from a, a tech perspective uh, within the tech teams i mean by that um from a skills that we can look at inclusion and include that is it sort of using more or, or varying uh, interview pro- practices or is there anything different we can include to to, to address these issues as well So I mentioned this before, um, something that we add to our um, application profile at the end, some, you know, the the typical questions that you get at the end is around neurodiversity and accessibility. So somebody at that point can say, I have these needs for the hiring process. So from the beginning, if, you know, if, if they make it to the next round of the CV screening, we have a sense that they have hearing loss or they might need to use a specific interpreter and we can integrate that into the process from the beginning. And I think just from from feedback that we've gotten, even the fact that we ask it looks so good to people. And it's even the small things like going back to, to job descriptions and job adverts. If you say you've got gender neutral bathrooms or if you have a little note about saying, you know, hey, typically women will apply to fewer jobs because they're, you know, if they don't meet every single skill, don't do that. If you meet most of them, like talk to us. And those tiny little details are so small, so easy to implement. And they give the right signals to say, we really want to accommodate. We want the best people and we want to accommodate you as best we can to, to get you through the door. Sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say, I like that note at the end where you, you say about encouraging people to apply, even if they don't tick every single box and having that visually on the ad. I think that's really clever. There, there was one thing that was brought up in, um, in a topic that we did earlier today, actually, uh, with, with Sean, um, was that uh, dive, like interviewing panels. So rather than just, there's a lot of obviously face-to-face interviews within tech hiring, we all know that, but sort of one, one-to-one or one-to-two um as in sort of in interviewer to interviewee uh, ratios and someone sort of highlighted utilizing sort of the rule of four so having four people and maybe one non-technical um within that to add to i believe someone said uh, that um not culture fit but culture ads is that something that anyone's ever implemented or looked at and how they can maybe sort of diversifying the panel of interviewers rather than just sort of focusing on one or two members of the team We do it over multiple stages. It's very difficult to get four stakeholders available all at the same time. Our processes would slow down significantly if we did, um, but we tend to ensure that we have two stages of interviews that have a range of interviewees, including a non-technical audience, making sure that someone in that room is not an engineer and can still build a collaboration with those engineers. Now, has that effect, have you seen a positive effect from that or what, what sort of effects have you driven from that? Yeah, absolutely. It's given the people coming in that expectation that we would want to collaborate with them. We don't just want to kind of have things pushed from the business to engineering. It's a collaboration and that person is is valued for their ability to communicate as well as their ability to write code. 
we don't need our, our coders just kind of sat in a darkened room coding on their own. Which isn't attractive for all engineers. Yeah. <laughs> Something we do in our first round of interviews, which is the kind of culture and minimum requirements round, is to include other members of the team. And, you know, they, they really do represent um, all the teams of the company. So we train them to carry out the specific kind of interview so that they know what to expect, but also what we're trying to get at. Because, you know, it, it, there's so much information up here for, for us as a people team, and we want to be able to share it. And, and you do need to train people in it. It's, it's, it's a skill definitely that needs to be practiced. But once they get that training and they are involved in the process, Right now, we have a partnerships role being hired for, and we have members of the product team doing interviews, for example. It's a really nice way to give people a stake in the hiring process. So to say, you know, this is, this is my company. This is the company I work for. I want to protect the culture. I want to protect what we have. And I play an active role in welcoming new people into the team. I think that internally, it, it's really great. And then also we try to leave time for questions at the end. So it means that they're not just talking to me who, you know, works on the practices and principles and policies of our day to day, they can actually say, you know, hey, you're a member of the team, what do you think of this? What's your favorite part without me going, well, you know, it's the people and it's just the trust and the autonomy. And they're like, well, you know, is that true? So mm -hmm. I think that's a really nice way to do it as well. You mentioned training then, how does that, uh, I suppose, integrate across, the, is it across the whole team, across all levels, or how does training sort of play a part in, in the interview process for obviously diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think um, we, we have the benefit of still being a small team. We have five people who do the interviews with us um, as a people team. So it's just a matter of sitting down and running through the theory behind uh, interviewing, what good looks like, what to avoid, that is so easy to do. Um, pairing up with people from the beginning. So us pairing with them as members of the people team, that's to, I'm one and a half member people team. So it's mostly me. Um, and then also having them pair up together. So you don't just feel like you're being launched into this universe, unknown universe of, of hiring where, you know, this isn't my, my role and I don't know what to do. It's really like, we're going to train you. We're going to support you to do it when you feel ready will get you out there. And then we're constantly calibrating to make sure that we're testing for the, the same things across interviews, because obviously that is one drawback of, of having multiple people doing different ones. We rolled out a, a company-wide system as well. So everyone does a conscious inclusion session. It's a workshop. It's not it's not a training session, that piece, but it's a workshop and, and asking lots of questions about inclusion and who you could be unknowingly exclude but added on to that we added on an interview skills training process that is training all of our managers and everyone who interviews here uh, is kind of asked to attend that session and we make sure everyone has that making sure um they know the basics things like making sure your interview packs are um, standardized across a role it's something that so many experienced interviewers just forget they kind of get into an interview and go well I've done this so many times before they go in having read the CV and uh, without any actual prep on the questions I'm like I'd rather you didn't read the CV I'd rather you ignore the CV and know exactly what you're going to ask and standardize those questions and make sure it's repeatable and it's scorable and you can treat everyone fairly in the moment. That's far more important than what somebody's CV says. And 
it's absolutely more important than what somebody's cover letter says. We've still got a lot of bias towards cover letters. Um, it's something that it was just what we were told when we were younger. We were told that if you want a job, you have to tell that company how much you want that job and you need to center that company in in your experience, which isn't true. Um, somebody can be a really great hire with the barest knowledge of who we are and what we do, but we've just got this so ingrained from our younger adulthood that that's what good looks like that you need to keep reminding those people it's not just kind of a a drop the training once and and leave it be you've got to keep having those conversations and and confronting those biases yeah it's, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that and i think I, I i don't know if it, i've definitely see a generational change right even the, the kind of younger generation coming through now are very different to how we were and that's great by the way and that should only be kind of praised and encouraged i think you i say you i or we can often fall into the trap of that's how it was when we were there um, or when we started our careers that's how it was well that was a different time it's a different generation effectively and the world thankfully has come on a lot from those days um without giving my age away too much um but yeah i think i think things are changing and, and it is an education piece as well isn't it with 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 our own hiring managers of why these practices are changed why it's maybe different for when they first went for a job that it's not twelve thousand pounds a year anymore and and, and why uh, there's a whole education piece that i think we we try and kind of do fairly regularly in, in an informal kind of way but this is what this is what is good now it's a different practice of good i think no fantastic yeah it's, i mean it's, it's always i suppose leading from the front especially as people teams it's often seen that that's where diversity inclusion stems from but in reality it probably needs to be throughout the whole business um and, and sort of led from the front from every leader within the company um so as you mentioned constant training so how, how often do would you think affect that is most effective to, I suppose, implement this sort of things into tech teams and actually sort of really ingrain the training. So how often do we do it or how often should we do it, I suppose, if we don't do it often enough? Well, we have quite an uh, extensive training programme. Um, but I guess that's partly down to the fact that our business is so large. Um, it's, it's something that we've only just rolled out this year formally, I would say. So we do... And, and I'd be keen to get some feedback from others as to how this might seem. But so we do in um, the standard hiring manager, hiring manager interview training, which is similar to the one that Fiona just mentioned. Um, we then do, um, as from courtesy of our partners, a, a diversity and inclusion training for every um underrepresented group. So we have one for gender inclusion, um, neurodiversity, um, and it's it, they're, they're more like workshops as well. But the, what I was worried about is this sort of saturation and overload of information where there might be a point where people start to just disengage and the numbers start to drop in terms of who actually turns up for the training. Um, so I think it would probably have been better if we did sort of one overall inclusivity training as opposed to breaking it down. But there's just there is a lot of information to cover and there's things that people wouldn't have thought of when looking at hiring from a specific diverse group so yeah hopefully it's um hopefully it still keeps people interested but um it's it's our it's our trial year so we're seeing how we're getting on we, we've got so many things oh god sorry lauren you go 
No, keep going. I said we have got so many things on our on our list, our to do list that we want to do, and I think you're right that the book off it, it often falls with the people team, and I think that's slightly. It, I'm all for the people, like you know, it's our job, I think, to start facilitating the conversation. For me, it's even it, it can only be effective when everybody else is empowered to be a part of it, and I think that can be so many different things. You, you know, nowadays we see, I mean, we see from when we try and sell to corporates that employee resource groups are kind of uh, on the up so you know a, a women at committee a um, lgbtq plus committee whatever that may be of, of just employees who are acting as a, a, a i guess a, a, as a bit of a more a passion project alongside their full-time role they also want to represent the company at this level and that level and i think they then can have initiatives sometimes they then have budget and they can really go about it other things that i mean we don't do but we want to is you know, you have your hiring managers, your senior leadership, middle lead, but also then creating a platform for future leaders. And so then you're actually kind of educating them even earlier, really, um, that, that maybe be, they're not a manager yet, but of what and why and how, when they are at those leadership positions, they can really play an even bigger part. And I guess empowering is the right word from our side. It's how do we empower people to to, to do it rather than this being a people people team down because then it then i think it, it often gets lost doesn't it what's worked well for us is also having it be often there are just people who aren't going to want to do it mm. and there's no reason that everybody has to so in in training for hiring specifically i think it's really nice to, to understand why people volunteer for it and then you can integrate that into it but also just selling people on the impact of hiring it's something that's sort of just assumed to be everyday work for people teams, for TA teams, that sort of thing. But the impact on the team, you know, if I'm an interviewer from the product team, how will this impact me down the line? I'm spending so much time on this now. And, and for us to say, you know, we're saving so much time, so much money, we're increasing our innovation. There's so many benefits to getting the right people into the role from the beginning. You are part of this. And these are the standards that we're setting. This is what you should look out for. So connecting it to the purpose and the outcomes of hiring has also been really valuable in being able to, to kind of have people step up in a really important way into the process. I really agree, Lauren. That's so powerful. Fantastic. And um, so I suppose then we've, we've identified some ways that we can make structural changes uh, within companies or um, to, to drive from a people function. From a people function, is there anything we can do to, I suppose, encourage um, these effects as well? So whether that be changing benefits or changing interview processes or what, what's been the most effective ways that we've I suppose, any success stories of implementing changes yourselves? I think a first small one is if there's no salary on there, like, I just, I'm not looking. You need to have salary on there for equity reasons. You need to be able to back up the salary that you've got on there. So first step, get the salary onto a job advert. Yeah, I, I could not. It, it still baffles me how many, if you look on LinkedIn, and it, it's in the minority still, and I cannot get my head around how and why. Uh, what are the drawbacks of putting salaries on there? I don't understand it. So from our perspective, um, because we have like very, we, we have a, a group of competitors, so the other media agencies, we have to be quite... Um, 
sort of closed when it comes to sharing our pay brackets also well not just against our competitors but also our existing team members um just to keep like politics regulated in terms of you know we're still sort of reassessing, um, constantly reassessing salary benchmarking and things like that because we're so large, it simply wouldn't work to share salary bandings, unfortunately. But in an ideal world, we would because the amount of times that people apply and they're just sort of way above what um, what we have on offer, um, it does end up wasting a lot of time on, on both parties. So it would be really amazing if we could. But I don't know, as an organisation of our size, how how we would ever be able to do that. I suppose with our size, we still have some work to do there for, for full transparency. And um, there, there is still some work to do. And, and we're working very hard on that and, and working on making it a priority that bandings will be published very, very soon. Um, but we're not quite yet there, quite, not quite there yet. I was just going to say, I suppose with, within tech as well, with the ever changing landscape that everyone's seen over the last year of salaries both going up and obviously coming down more recently is there something that can be done maybe within the interview process then to to assess that rather than it for for larger organizations is there anything that i suppose you, you the people team yourself lauren would, is there anything that is done internally at that point rather than obviously at the face value of application do you mean once somebody has applied or yeah that yeah sorry there yeah yeah so in terms of do you mean screening out people that are in... Well, a bit of both, sort of be having the, I suppose, the, being able to include more people and I suppose have that. Yeah. Yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is, actually. Um, I think that there is a function on LinkedIn where you can put it. So without publishing it on the ad, we can have it as that next stage. So if somebody applies, they can see we could do like a manual question where it says, are you happy with the salary at this break? this range um and obviously we screen it out when we speak to them or, or send them a quick email beforehand um but yeah i'm not sure what else we could think about in terms of having it actually on the application which i guess isn't very inclusive of us. no no i mean so obviously when you're, <laughs> when you're speaking to people as well that that's yeah thing about including people and um obviously making sure that that that's i suppose only just one thing that we talked about from a, from a i suppose a wider benefits package is, yeah. has there been anything else where you've been able to implement and see sort of an increase in in success and diversity inclusion within i suppose a, a benefits package for, for for people is that directed to me sorry everyone sorry oh everyone uh, sorry not, not just you, <laughs> everyone, everyone okay, in general, but... in general. I guess we kind of operate in that space, right? So I guess we maybe have um, some slightly kind of, um, I don't want to say know-how, but I think there's a few things, but policies are great. And, and I think, but but they're not quite enough either. So saying, you know, we have a maternity, we have this policy, that policy, you know, the world, again, is moving on. Thankfully, there are now things like menstruation policies, menopause policies that are becoming more and more prevalent, which is which is fantastic. But I think it, a lot of companies still have them in their filing cabinet and it's not something you really look at, right, until someone needs it. But I think being really transparent with what you do have, um, it, it's all, for, for me anyway, my opinion is, is about, it's facilitating conversations. And, you know, as much as we might think, well, actually, I, I don't think at all, but I think the old workplace, work and family life or personal life were two parallel lines that never, ever crossed. And we all know that 
that isn't true. Um, there is so much overlap, and and I and I really do. I'm quite passionate about that. That you're going to get a more engaged employee experience when you recognise that they do overlap. And as an employer and a responsible employee, you have a responsibility with that overlap, right? You can play your part as well as an employer. I mean, I, 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 I probably shouldn't have said it, but I got the job at the end of the day, so I could. But it, I, I, when I was interviewing Hertility, was was very upfront with the founders that my wife was pregnant. Now, it's maybe slightly different because I'm a male, so it, it would maybe carry different connotations. But I kind of stepped back and thought, well, I, should I have said that? Because that's just not something you typically say to your boss. <laughs> but then I thought, well, if there's ever a business to be able to do it at, it's probably Hertility. Uh, but I think even having those sorts of conversations about family life and you know the in your you know if you're asked a question by your boss one day what what's your plan in one three five years you still would never dream of saying well i'd like to have start a family well, well why not why, why can't we say that and, and what's our employer's position on that and how can they help support that and i think obviously that's a bit what utility is here for but i think it goes beyond that as well right it's still so daunting to say it it took a lot of kind of soul searching because I did the same at my interview I walked in and said I'm a mum of two one of my kids has got a hearing loss he needs to go to the doctors more often I have a disability I'm neurodivergent life is messy and my hard work probably doesn't look like the same as the teams you've got that have been here through the pandemic that you know were able to do 10 hour days I do I, I flex um, and it's really, really difficult saying it for the first time. And then once you've got that in the people team, being able to mirror that out to everyone you speak to is, is really empowering. Being able to say to people, yeah, absolutely. We are here to listen to what's going on with you. You can talk about your kids. You can talk about your disability. You can talk about how your neurodivergence affects you and, how how that's going to affect what you need from work um we're, we're here we're reasonable let's have the conversation please don't try and hide these things because it's just going to make you unwell and, and less productive yeah I, 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 by the way, I hope I wasn't I, I didn't want to think it was an easy conversation to have that wasn't the, my kind of <laughs> narrative I, 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 I actually think for as I said, for me in that situation as a male, it probably is a slightly easier conversation to have for sure. But I guess, yeah, it goes back, I think, as well to education and how we we start educating from within that these are not just conversations that we want to have, that they're necessary for productivity reasons, for, um, you know, happy workforces and engaged workforce. And that that's going to have good good connotations for the business as well. It, it all does go full circle, right? Yeah, and people shouldn't feel afraid to have those conversations absolutely realistically they still are so the more you can open things up to people the easier it is for those to have the, them to have those conversations and the more likely that somebody diverse will want to join your workforce yeah we, we spoke to uh, we spoke to a, um, a potential client last week and they they were looking at me menopause in the workplace and one of the things they decided to do was just have a room in the office that was kind of you could go to if you're having a hot flush and you could just go there and it was cooler and all these things and they said you know at the, at the start it was kind of like well no one wanted to go in because they were would they be judged from walking in there but then all of a sudden it you know someone does it or a couple of people do it and actually it doesn't really matter what people think if it's helping you and it's 
is there for people like you, then then I guess it's doing its job. And I, I, it's a little tiny thing, maybe for the business, but means a heck of a lot more for the people that need it. I think that those are, yeah, it's a really good points. Um, and I think that something that Fiona touched on was sort of flexibility and open communication around um, people being able to to take the time that they need um, and that being encouraged sort of across the business. So having leaders and the people team promote sort of a culture of, you know, we we can facilitate flexibility and um, sh having senior leaders that show that, you know, they've also um, encountered things in, in their lives that means that they've needed to take that flexibility and, and it's okay. Um, so our chief technology, technology officer, um, Sean Betts, he's a, a real advocate for mental health and also neurodiversity. Um, so he's he, he's always talking about um, how the business has, has helped him get through difficult times and um, facilitated the, the environment for him to thrive. Um, and I think that from the top down is where we start to sort of push it through to all levels across the business um, so that people feel that they can um, join if they need that sort of flexibility. Yeah, the onus is on the business to make it clear to people that they should, you know, this is the environment. And I think it starts with the job adverts and then it, it obviously must continue in the experience. So something that, that we do that I think is, is relatively unique, which it shouldn't be, is explaining why we have the benefits that we have. So it's not only, you know, we have four months maternity and paternity leave or, you know, it, there's no birthing and non-birthing parent. It's, we have unlimited holiday. It's for this reason. It's because this, it's a flexible policy. It, it doesn't mean you can take 250 days off. It means that you can take one day off mm -hmm. in two days, or you can take two weeks off in a few months. It means you can have a Netflix day, or you can go on holiday with your family and, and understanding that we have this in place so that you know, you know, you know yourself best, you know, when you need a break, we trust you to do that. And this is the policy. And we do that with each of our benefits. And I think that from the get go, if somebody understands why we have something and the culture that we're building around that, it's not just, you know, a random benefit or perk, it's, it's for employees, it's for the business, then that makes it even more of a tangible, um, accessible benefit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm conscious of time, so I don't want us to, obviously, we can always go on for, for hours and days and yeah, mm -hmm. however long but in different rabbit holes with this. It is such an important topic, but it sounds very much from, I suppose, collaborating what, what I've heard today. It's very much about sort of understanding, sort of educating and implementing that within, I suppose, the, the whole company. And then that will then trickle down into tech. Uh, from that side of things, if it's at the forefront of the business, it's going to be at the forefront of our tech hiring. So I suppose before before we close off, is there any final comments about sort of um, things that could be done going forwards um, to continue to implement this, um, I suppose, in our industry that we all work in? I think things like this are really, are really helpful. Uh, a personally but b just for businesses as well because i think you can you know we, we can all go to the drawing board with our own business about how we think and, and what we want to do but actually then when you speak to other people with, with we've all got this challenge this is unique to one of our businesses and different things that work in different organizations we might sit here and think of oh, i don't think that'll work in my organization but actually until we understand um as lauren kind of until we understand why why we offer these things and there's 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 tangible reasons as to why i think the more you kind of share 
across different industries, across different businesses, the the better in a way. And, and I know that's a really kind of idealistic way of looking at it because we don't have time to do this all the time, but we should make time for it because I, I think it's really useful. Definitely. Well, I, I've really enjoyed having you all on and uh, I'm sure, well, I hope you've all taken something from, from each other in terms of points that we can all implement or, or change. And uh, I know I certainly have uh, from looking at obviously things that we can do on adverts and things like that. And I'm sure many people that will tune in after, after obviously this goes live, um, we'll, we'll take, uh, yeah, we'll take, we'll take a lot of learnings from. So I really appreciate your time, everyone. Um, it's been great obviously having you all and hopefully we can do something similar again very soon. But uh, yeah, been brilliant having you all. Thanks so much, yeah. Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone. Nice to meet you all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.